Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. For all of the hoopla surrounding Donald Trump and Russia, there has been very little focus on Trump's actual policies towards Russia. This is probably because paying attention to Trump's Russia policies would undermine the hoopla and the very fashionable narrative that Trump does Russia's bidding. The reality is that Trump has been a Russia hawk, and nowhere is his policy more dangerous and more worthy of attention than when it comes to nuclear weapons. Two years ago, this month, Trump released a nuclear posture review that CNN described at the time as the Pentagon's, quote, toughest line yet against Russia's resurgent nuclear forces, unquote. One year later, Trump announced the U.S. withdrawal from the INF, a Cold War-era treaty that limited a large class of nuclear weapons. Trump has also signaled that he might not renew New START, the last remaining treaty imposing limits on the U.S. and Russian nuclear arsenals. Now, Trump is escalating the arms race that these treaties sought to avoid. Just recently, the Pentagon confirmed that it had deployed, for the first time, a submarine armed with a low-yield nuclear weapon, the W-76-2. Then, Trump released a budget that revealed plans to create a brand new submarine-launched nuclear warhead, the W-93. The proposal was a part of a proposed 19% increase to $19.8 billion for the National Nuclear Security Administration, which maintains the nuclear stockpile and develops new nuclear warheads. Trump's budget for this nuclear agency has increased 50% since his first year in office. The Trump administration currently has no special envoy to oversee nuclear talks with Moscow. And all of this recently led the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists to move its doomsday clock 100 seconds before midnight, the closest it's been since 1953. Under Trump, the Bulletin noted, quote, U.S.-Russia cooperation on arms control and disarmament is all but non-existent. It also said, quote, the U.S. has adopted a bullying and derisive tone towards its Chinese and Russian competitors, unquote. Well, to discuss the perilous state of U.S.-Russia relations when it comes to nuclear weapons, I spoke earlier to Scott Ritter, a former U.N. weapons inspector, Marine Corps intelligence officer, and author of the book Scorpion King, America's Suicidal Embrace of Nuclear Weapons from FDR to Trump. Scott Ritter, welcome to Pushback. Let me start by asking you to respond to these big new developments. You have the Pentagon confirming that it's deployed this low-yield nuclear weapon on a submarine, uh, the W-76-2, followed by an announcement from the Pentagon uh, in Trump's new budget that he is planning on developing another nuclear weapon that can go on submarines, the W-93. Well, first of all, we have to we have to go back in time to 2010 and the uh, nuclear posture review that was conducted by the um, administration of uh, then President Barack Obama. At that time, one of the major uh, features of this nuclear posture review was a decision by uh, the United States that it would no longer produce new warheads. That basically, when we when we speak of the American nuclear deterrent. Uh, it would consist only of existing warheads that would be refurbished, that we were out of the new warhead business. And this was seen as um, you know, a, a very important uh, feature of not only arms control, but of nuclear disarmament, that the, the, the fact that the United States is starting to step away from 
um, this this over reliance upon nuclear weapons in terms of its uh, overall strategic military posture. Uh, so when we reflect back on that and we take note of what the Trump administration is doing today, we see that we've reversed course, that we are now in the new warhead business. Um, and this this is very destabilizing. Look, there's there's a legitimate reason for this new warhead. If you if if you buy into the need for Great Britain to uh, to maintain a strategic nuclear force, the British use a Trident submarine. They use a uh, Trident uh, missiles and the British warheads are outdated. They're no longer safe. They need to be updated. And uh, the, 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 this new warhead that the uh, Trump administration is pursuing is a joint development between the United States and Great Britain. Uh, to upgrade not only the British missiles, but also the American fleet. Um, but this is in the wrong direction. Barack Obama's vision was of nuclear disarmament, heading us in the direction of eventual nuclear disarmament. The Trump administration clearly has embraced nuclear weapons um, and, 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 and breathed the new vitality into them in terms of their relevance to the overall uh, American military uh, posture. This is... Um, this is not a good a good sign, especially when one understands that the only remaining uh, arms control treaty between the United States and Russia is the New Star Treaty. It expires in February of uh, next year, one year, and it doesn't seem as if the Trump administration is too keen on um, extending this treaty or negotiating a new treaty. So uh, we're we're seeing pretty much the the death of arms control and the beginning of a of a new arms race that will be very destabilizing. Well, let me ask you the stated rationale for the Trump administration's reluctance to extend New START, which expires in about a year, is that they want uh, China to be involved in any uh, extension of New START. Can you, uh, what is your assessment of uh, that stated goal by the Trump administration? Well, first of all, it's, 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 it's long been um, the hope of, uh, of, of, past American presidential administrations, not just the Trump administration, that um, we could bring China into the fold when it comes to, um, you know, arms control treaties, et cetera. But historically, you know, we've had bilateral treaty relationships with the for- with the Soviet Union and, and its, 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 its modern day successor, uh, Russia. Um, Yes, it would be nice to have a, a treaty that, that brought all three into play. But China is not an equal player. China's nuclear arsenal is small. Um, you know, it, it's not someone who can sit at the table and, and, and speak about, uh, you know, a, a, an equal impact on uh, global um, you know, nuclear um, disarmament. So it's unrealistic to speak of bringing China in the fold, especially this quickly. The best thing that could happen is to extend the New START Treaty. That's a five-year extension, automatic, doesn't change the balance whatsoever, keeps in place this treaty, and then begin the process of negotiating with the Chinese and the Russians on how a trilateral uh, disarmament agreement would look. But uh, there's no way China's just going to come to the table and, uh, and, and, and accede to, any, to American wishes. These treaties take years to negotiate. So we haven't even begun the process of negotiating with the Chinese. So it's unrealistic to say, well, we're going to forego extending New START because we have this vision of a of a new treaty vehicle that involves Russia and China. Um, that's just patently unrealistic. Yes, it makes sense down the road to have China brought to the table, but to uh, sacrifice New START on 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 the false hope that this could happen within a year's time is um, it's just not sound. 
So what do you think is the thinking going on inside the Trump administration to the extent that there is any thinking? Uh, you have in Trump's budget a proposed 19% increase to $19.8 billion for the National Security for the National Nuclear Security Administration, which is the energy department agency that maintains the nuclear stockpile. Uh, it's a jump of more than 50% since 2017, Trump's first year in office. And you have buried in that budget, uh, this is according to the New York Times, a significant new effort to develop intermediate range missiles, largely conventional weapons, that were prohibited by the INF Treaty uh, that Trump withdrew from last year. You, Scott Ritter, you actually helped implement the INF Treaty after it was reached back in the 1980s as a former weapons inspector. Is that correct? That is correct. So what do you think is the thinking inside the Trump administration in tearing up the INF Treaty last year and now uh, appearing to be reluctant to extend New START? Well, the INF Treaty was always a uh, European-centric uh, vehicle. Um, it was about, you know, the deployment of American intermediate range missiles into Europe and uh, the Russian deployment of, um, of, of its uh, INF systems into uh, theaters of operations that could impact Europe. It was seen as to be extraordinarily destabilizing. It gave the United States the ability, especially with the Pershing II missile, to strike Moscow within nine minutes of launch. Uh, this gave the Russians zero response time in terms of uh, ascertaining whether or not they had a false reading on a radar or if this was a real attack. Um, so the, the world literally stood on the precipice of uh, global nuclear annihilation. So it was a great treaty to, to bring us back from that. It also, you know, it was the, the, the first uh, treaty that, that implemented verification using on-site inspections. Um, and this carried over into the Strategic Arms Reduction Treaties that we see today. Uh, in, in, indeed, New START uh, employs the, the same on-site inspection um, verification uh, toolkit that, that was begun with INF. Um, the, 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 the Trump administration's rationale for pulling back from the INF Treaty or getting out of the INF Treaty was that it locked the United States into um, a denial of weapons capability that no one else in the world was locked into besides Russia. Um, and in particular, the United States was worried about the Chinese uh, uh, intermediate nuclear uh, weapons capability. Um, the vast majority of China's nuclear arsenal is intermediate ranged missiles. So this is just based upon the reality of China's geography and, and the way that they've structured their, um, you know, their military posture. These weapons pose no threat to the United States. And indeed, uh, to the extent that they threaten American allies, such as South Korea, Japan, um, perhaps Taiwan, uh, it's offset by the American strategic nuclear advantage. That is, we have submarine-launched ballistic missile capability that can uh, that, that can respond uh, with superior uh, destructive force than anything the Chinese can bring to bear. So it, it was it was a ludicrous um, premise upon which to withdraw from one of the most stabilizing treaties in the history of arms control. But again, it was predicated on the fact that the United States perceived there to be a, a gap in capability between China and the United States. And uh, under the Trump administration, uh, any perceived gap must be filled. When the U.S. justifies its nuclear posture towards Russia, it cites as justification a doctrine in Russia, 
which it claims exists, which is that of what is characterized as an escalate to de-escalate strategy, where this idea that Russia is actually seeking to escalate nuclear tensions with the ultimate goal of de-escalating them, possibly even risking conflict. Is that an accurate characterization of Russia's actual nuclear posture? No, it, 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 it dates back to uh, a mischaracterization. There's a, there's a senior Russian general, I think he's the, uh, the, the, the chief of staff today, uh, General Gerasimov. Um, and there's you know, the, the talk of this uh, Gerasimov doctrine that he allegedly put forward that talks about uh, hybrid warfare, um, you know, seeking to engage uh, to offset uh, NATO conventional military superiority by employing hybrid capabilities, partisan guerrilla warfare, things of that nature, little green men uh, dating back to the Crimea times. Um, and then um, if, if NATO responded, then Russia could, you know, according to the Gerasimov theory, escalate conventionally, decisively, bring in its military in order to get NATO to back down. Um, the problem is Gerasimov wasn't describing Russian military doctrine. He was describing Russia's view of what Western military doctrine was. Uh, these, you know, the, 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 the velvet revolutions, the color revolutions, the hybrid warfare that was being waged by the West against Russia. And what Russia believed was NATO and the United States doctrine of escalate conventionally to get Russia to de-escalate, to raise the stakes so that Russia would back down. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a case of mirror imaging where we falsely attributed to Russia what Russia was uh, rightly saying about us. And then in 2015, uh, before a congressional uh, hearing, uh, a Defense Department official uh, took this conventional misunderstanding and then applied it to Russian uh, nuclear doctrine, saying that the Russians would escalate to de-escalate, meaning that if they got involved in a conventional fight with NATO that they were losing, Russia would employ tactical nuclear weapons, of which they have an advantage, uh, in an effort to escalate the conflict, uh, forcing NATO either to ratchet it up to general nuclear warfare or back down conventionally. Um, and, and this, in turn, became you know, it, a mantra within the United States and, and drove the 2018 Nuclear Posture Review. We developed military capability, nuclear capability, indeed this uh, low-yield nuclear weapon that was recently deployed on a submarine is derived from this misunderstanding. But if you take a look at Russian nuclear doctrine, I mean, it's published, it's known. The Russians don't have an escalate to de-escalate nuclear doctrine. They have a doctrine of responding in kind. That is, if you attack us with nuclear weapons, we will attack you. And I, I think I'm wrong when I say in kind. They will respond with general nuclear warfare. Uh, Vladimir Putin hinted at this when he spoke in Sochi in 2018, uh, after the United States talked about escalate to de-escalate. He said, if you use nuclear weapons against us, we will destroy you. We recognize that we will be martyrs, but you will be dead, meaning the world will be destroyed, but it's not our fault. You attacked us. That's Russian nuclear doctrine. That's the reality of the Russian nuclear doctrine. And that's why what we're doing by deploying low-yield nuclear weapons aboard submarines is inherently destabilizing because somehow we get we got it in the minds of American military planners that we can fight and win a nuclear war with Russia. We can't. We can fight a nuclear war with Russia, but everybody will die. Finally, having served in the Soviet Union and helping to implement the INF Treaty back in the 1980s, uh, um, when it when it was reached, what can you tell us about what 
these nuclear treaties do to improve relations and communication between the U.S. and Russia. So not just the merits of having a treaty that limits nuclear stockpiles, but also in the process fosters cooperation between the world's top two nuclear powers. Look, when I when I first arrived, and this is, again, this is a personal you know aspect of it, but I, I, I can say uh, with certainty that it, it applies to the other inspectors that I dealt with in the 1980s. We were cold warriors. I just spent several years in the Marine Corps training to close with and destroy the Soviet enemy um, in close combat. Um, I was part of a, a self-propelled artillery battalion that was nuclear capable. So I was prepared, I was trained to use nuclear weapons against the, the, the Soviet Union. I had fellow uh, inspectors from the Air Force who were trained to fire uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles. I had uh, Navy nuclear submariners that were ready to fire their nuclear weapons. Um, Air Force, you know, B-52 people. We were ready to go to war with the Soviet Union and we viewed them as the enemy. And so when we first arrived in the Soviet Union, it was very much, um, you know, like stepping on to, uh, you know, a, 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 a potential nuclear battle zone. Uh, we eyed our Soviet counterparts as they eyed us as threats. Um, but once you start working with them, I mean, I worked, uh, my primary mission was to, to work at a factory in Vodkinsk, the Vodkinsk machine building plant that produced uh, a number of uh, Soviet missiles, including the SS-25 uh, road mobile intercontinental ballistic missile. They also produced the SS-20 uh, road mobile missile, which was the reason why the INF treaty was being is seen as an inherently destabilizing missile that had to be destroyed. Um, but I, you know, I met, I worked on a daily basis with the um, Soviet engineers, technicians that produce these missiles. Uh, I worked with the Soviet officers at their nuclear uh, risk reduction center who used to command these missiles. Uh, later on, I, I traveled to these to the deployment sites where these missiles are and inspected the missiles uh, in their operational areas where they would be deployed to fire against the United States. I ate meals with the, with the Russian officers that did this. This is a long way of saying they became humans. And we viewed the problem of disarmament as a mutual problem. It wasn't a problem for me to resolve or for them to resolve. We resolved it together. And in doing so, we created a bond of trust and a, a common bond of, of recognition that these weapons destroy humanity and these weapons need to go. That's perhaps the most important part. Yes, we can play numbers games, you know, talk about how many warheads we're reducing, but the numbers don't matter as long as both parties recognize that it's insanity to use these weapons. That's what the on-site inspection process and its related negotiation process, getting diplomats and military commanders to sit across the table and talk about how to get rid of these weapons, not how to come up with innovative ways of uh, modernizing them and, and using them, but to get rid of them, the recognition that the world doesn't need these weapons. This is why New START is so important. This is why the on-site inspection process is so important, because it delegitimizes nuclear weapons. And we have a Trump administration that seems very uh, set on <laughs> legitimizing nuclear weapons as evidenced by its budget increases and deployments of a new nuclear weapon, this low-yield nuclear weapon on a submarine. Absolutely. Look, the, 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 one of the big dangers of getting rid of New START, uh, we already are faced with a situation where, you know, we, at one point in time, um, thanks to the Cold War, we had a cadre, a very large cadre of highly qualified 
uh, arms control negotiators. We had a cadre of highly qualified arms control verification inspectors, um, the best in the world, the, the, the best you could ever hope for. But, you know, a, a tool is only useful if you continue to use it, to exercise it, to train new people to follow on. Um, my generation's gone. They're, 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 there's no longer people, you know, that, that, that started this process. The negotiators are gone. Um, the, the, the Obama administration revitalized it somewhat, but under the Trump administration, we don't have um, veteran arms control negotiators. What we have are ideologues, people who've bought into the Trump vision of the world, um, who are not familiar with their Russian counterparts, with Russian doctrine, uh, et cetera. Um, New START is the last remaining vestige of, of this, this negotiating process. If you get rid of it, we, A, don't have people capable of negotiating a new treaty. Um, the, simply the Trump administration is not capable of doing this, not unless they're willing to open their doors and allow you know, in, uh, in negotiators from the Obama administration back in, which they're not going to do. But more importantly, it immediately creates distrust. Right now, we know exactly what the Russians are doing. You know, Vladimir Putin talked about, you know, a couple of years ago, expanding his nuclear force. He talked about these, you know, the avant-garde missile, the Sarmat missile, uh, things of that nature. Well, because of New START, American inspectors have been able to go into Russia and participate in um, the uh, you know, a demonstration where the Russians lay the missile out, show it to the Americans. We become familiar with it. We have inspectors. 18 times a year, going to sites inside Russia, inspecting their nuclear arsenal. The treaty requires the Russians to periodically uh, freeze their, their, their nuclear forces so that our satellites can take photographs. We have the same thing. We have to open up silos so their satellites can take photographs. There's no unknowns here. The Russians know everything there is to know about our nuclear arsenal, and we know everything there is to know about the Russian nuclear arsenal, and that's a good thing because there will be no surprises. The second new start ends... Those on-site inspectors aren't there anymore. Those silos stay closed. Those mobile forces are going to be dispersed. And we start to doubt ourselves. We start to wonder, what are the Russians up to? And they start to wonder what we are up to. And then they have to react because you get this perception of gap, perception of, you know, we're no longer able to, 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 to match the United States. Or, or from our perspective, we can't match the Russians. So we start to expand our capabilities. This creates an arms race. This creates uncertainty. This is the last thing we need. We need New START uh, at, because at a very minimum, it eliminates uncertainty when it comes to Russian and American uh, strategic nuclear capability. One last question. I understand that the Trump administration's policy is radical and has radically increased the nuclear threat. But I'm wondering if there is a bipartisan problem here. So take the Obama administration, which you've talked about. On the one hand, yes, they did reach a new start, which is a, uh, a welcome treaty for anybody who wants to reduce the threat of nuclear war. At the same time, Obama launched this so-called modernization program, committing close to a trillion dollars on upgrading the, the nuclear arsenal. And he also deferred decisions on a lot of key issues, sort of kicking the ball down the road. Does his administration, for all the good that it did when it comes to uh, signing new start and also reaching the Iran nuclear deal, do they also share some of the blame for the situation that we're currently in? Look, absolutely. You know, it, President Obama gave a speech in Prague in the Czech Republic in April of 2009, in which he articulated a vision of, um, a, you know, a, 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 in support of nuclear nonproliferation and nuclear disarmament. And indeed, 
this vision he tried to, to make reality. There was a concerted effort to negotiate a, uh, a new START treaty. He successfully did so. Uh, there was an effort to get the Comprehensive uh, Nuclear Test Ban Treaty brought to Congress for ratification, uh, to revitalize the Nuclear Nonproliferation Treaty, uh, things of this nature. But he ran into a brick wall, and that brick wall was called Congress. Both Republican and de uh, Democrats alike have, um, have bought into the notion of uh, nuclear deterrence uh, as a uh, absolute imperative that the United States cannot live without, you know, a viable triad-based nuclear deterrence. Triad meaning um, submarine launch missiles, land-based intercontinental ballistic missiles, and uh, nuclear-equipped uh, bombers. This has been uh, how the United States has structured its nuclear deterrence since the 1950s, and uh, it, it, it's, it's the same way today. No, no politician, no member of Congress has the courage to say this is no longer needed. Um, in an effort to try and push some of his, um, his, his disarmament and, and arms control uh, vision, uh, he had to make concessions to Congress. And one of those concessions was uh, modernization. It was, yes, President Obama who began the, you know, multi-hundred billion dollar nuclear modernization process that, that Trump inherited. Um, also remember that a lot of uh, Obama's vision was was premised on the notion of a reset with Russia. Um, that was Michael McFaul's uh, vision, a reset. But the reset wasn't really a reset with Russia. The reset was exploiting the fact that uh, Dmitry Medvedev was president, not Vladimir Putin, and trying to fast track as many changes as possible while Medvedev was in power um, so that you could change uh, the relationship between the United States and Russia. But when Vladimir Putin came back to be president in uh, 2012, the reset was over. And uh, that was the end of uh, any uh, viable negotiations between the United States and Russia. You, you mentioned also uh, Iran, you know, the, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. But understand that that wasn't a treaty. That was basically an executive order that could readily be overwritten. Not only that, it was premised on very bad intelligence. As much as the, the, the Obama administration likes to say that we got an agreement that allowed Iran to continue to uh, enrich, um, but with, with stringent controls, the Obama administration never backed away from its contention that Iran had at one time possessed a nuclear weapons capability intention, that they had a program. Now, this is false. The intelligence is false. But the Obama administration, they'll breathe life into that. And in signing the JCPOA, they didn't back away from that. This is what gives the Trump administration legitimacy when they say this is a bad treaty, because if you believe Iran had at one point in time a nuclear weapons capability intention, that they had an infrastructure to do it, and Iran has denied this and has never declared this infrastructure, how in God's name can you allow Iran at some point in time to have unlimited numbers of centrifuges producing as much enriched material as they want, void of constraint? That would be stupid. That would be suicidal. That's the Trump administration's uh, argument. This is because Barack Obama's administration didn't have the courage to complete the task. Yes, they got an agreement, but they didn't undo the intelligence because like the, the addiction to nuclear weapons, like the addiction to the concept of, of nuclear deterrence, once the intelligence community puts forward a premise, it's politically difficult for members of Congress to back away. Once we say Iran had a nuclear weapons capability intention, it's politically difficult to suddenly say they don't because that requires a politician to take a big step into the unknown. And no politician wants to be proven wrong on an issue like that. It's much easier for them to play it safe, to say, oh, no, we don't trust Iran. Just like, no, we need the nuclear 
triad. Um, yeah, Obama's to blame. Trump inherited the failure of the Obama vision. He also inherited the fact that the that President Obama, in the end, made numerous concessions to uh, to, to the Republicans in the in, in Congress, especially Republicans in the Senate, regarding nuclear modernization and indeed nuclear posture. Scott Ritter, former UN weapons inspector, former Marine Corps intelligence officer, author of several books, including Scorpion King, America's Suicidal Embrace of Nuclear Weapons from FDR to Trump. Also the author of Deal Breaker, uh, Donald Trump and the Unmaking of the Iran Nuclear Deal. That book, along with a recent book by Gareth Porter and John Kiriakou called The CIA uh, Insider's Guide to the Iran Crisis. Both those books offer key context on what Scott Ritter was just talking about this this uh, fallacious notion that Iran actually had a nuclear weapons program. Uh, Scott Ritter, thanks very much. Thank you.